This is the Multisport Podcast for triathletes, duathletes, sportive riders, road racers, time trialists, runners, mountain bikers, and fitness enthusiasts. Supported by No Pins, suppliers of number attachment systems for cycling, triathlon, and duathlon, skin suits, velotoes, overshoes, and club clothing. Visit nopins.com. Whatever your distance, whatever your event, this podcast aims to make you smarter and faster. So welcome to the 136th JBST.com Smartcast. This is now in its 10th year of broadcasting. I'm Coach Joe Beer, and I'm joined today by Will Manga of Endurance. Good morning, Will. Hello, Joe. Hi. So we are talking to you about blood profiling, athletes who are using it, what the new service is, and uh, who it's applicable for. And I guess I must, for clarity, uh, state that I do have a financial um, position with endurance. I think that's the best way to put it, so that, you know, if people think I'm feathering my own nest, I'm saying, yes, this is a service that I've thought is a great idea, you know, not only for the athlete in me, but for, for other coaches. So, Will, tell us about you first, you, Will Manga, rather than um, the service. Tell us about you. Yeah, to- total transparency there, Joe. <laughs> it's great. So, yes, absolutely. I think um, so. Yeah, I'm I'm a um, a sports sports uh, medic, sports GP, whatever you want to kind of um, coin me. Really, is so I think talking kind of personally versus professionally. Personally, I've always been a athletes i'm having a little bit of downtime at the moment but i've um been a triathlete and a kind of national level time trialist and uh got some fairly good success there from over the years and always been very interested in the the kind of holistic approach to looking at the athlete really the the outside of the athlete the kind of external numbers of power heart rate very heart rate variability etc but also what's going on in the inside um, this is something that's always fascinated me for years with you know exercise physiology sports nutrition um, keeping the athlete well but also being able to really maximize potential maximize performance right. um, my own per- professional background is that i've been um uh, been in medicine for 20 years been a gp for 10 years um and last few years i've um been involved in 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 more sports medicine uh i'm currently the race doctor for the tour of britain and the um london classic women's tour um and soon to do the um uh, the Wigo attempt for the hour, which is in uh, two or three weeks, um, which is exciting. And I'm also um, the medical director for endurance. And what endurance do is we are involved in uh, sports health, sports blood profiling. So keeping keeping the athlete well, um, looking at the sort of biomarkers and metrics of you know optimal health and performance you know allowing them to keep doing what they want to do keep themselves as you know fit and healthy as possible because we've always known that you know it's sort of 
80% fitness, 20% wellness and health. Uh, we're trying to rejuggle that to make sure that people can ensure longevity in, in the sport they love and make sure that they keep themselves well and kind of the, you know, that metaphorical wheels don't fall off the, fall off the athlete. Yeah. Now there's loads of, um, there's loads of, I guess everything's being called a marginal gain and it's come to the point where you think, hold on a minute, there's all these marginal gains and they can't all be marginal. Um, they may not all be necessarily um, applicable because there must be bigger foundations in somebody's uh, training, you know, training uh, habits or specificity or diet or so forth. So we've obviously got a competing picture of people's um, time and financial outlay. What's the best way to picture blood profiling when comparing it to money spent on, say, um, a training camp, um, uh, biomechanical testing in running, um, a wind tunnel session, um, you know, a brand new bike? How, how do you picture blood profiling within the pecking order and within the applicability to, to what type of person? I think it's an, it is a very interesting question because at the moment we're – we're very young and embryonic in the whole conceptual shift of of blood profiling as something that is on the radar of, of the athlete, the recreational athlete, whether they're triathlete, runner, or cyclist. Um, because the whole innovation, the concept of an investment in something that's not maybe a physical tangible thing that they can hold like you say you know whether it's a training camp or whether it's a aero wheel or something like that it's very much a conceptual uh, principle that they buy into and they um you know they try and follow and i think that that is a, an education uh, and, and a whole slow burn that we're looking for in in athletes currently who are, who are looking at something like blood profiling because up until now it's been very much a maybe a sort of a semi-chaotic uptake of something like this i mean it's normally the timeline has been that athletes have got themselves into some form of trouble whereby they're tired overtrained failing to recover um and in fact they're sort of exhibiting performance degradations as the season or seasons go on rather than improvements which is what they want and they often look at why is this happening so their next port of call is where do we go from here do we go to our own sort of family doctor or do you do you speak to your coach or what do you do how do you try and quantify or qualitatively assess the performance degradation and the optimization that they're suffering with okay so they're looking they're then looking they're looking for a cause which which i guess is you know is a mm. it's a natural human instinct oh it's not all going right right what can it be so this is this is one of those shall we say more scientific ways to look at what could be fundamental, not even marginal changes in physiology, but mm. potentially, in some cases, I guess quite big, um, quite big things that are out of sync. Yeah, and I think if you don't have the tools or the scope to be able to actually quantitatively look inside the athletes and find out exactly what's going on you'll you'll never actually know and i think it's it's only by doing some form of 
profiling or tracking or testing can we actually see what's what's going on and an example of this would be an athlete that maybe is low on something like iron or b12 or folate some of the kind of vitamin levels or vitamin d um, and the question is what what level of deoptimization on their metrics equates to an actual uh, definitive uh, output of you know uh, a, a poor performance um, and 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 poor conditioning absorption of training for for this athlete um, and then you look at things like you know the performance hormones or stress hormones you can often get a good handle on why an athlete maybe isn't at the point they want to be just by looking at the pattern of their profile maybe they've got heavily de-optimized red blood cell function or their stress hormones are very high or their performance hormones something like a testosterone level is low um, and we can give ideas we can give give athletes some some clues as to why things aren't aren't going well for them perhaps or on the other side if they're looking at like you say um, exploiting all those marginal gains are my performance vitamins and my minerals or everything working as they should be is there anything there that I can put a tick into the box that's going to allow me to optimize the whole athlete holistically because as we said before it's very much a conceptual shift in thinking about you know, actually investing in the athlete themselves, the inside of the athlete, uh, is something you don't actually see. And the quantification of the outcome on, with respect to the performance or translating to times within time trials or within triathlons, that's very much a future gain for us, future, future knowledge. And what can we do for the athlete? And how does that translate to their performance? Because it's not because it's not visible. That's obviously um, for some people, um, bling matters, doesn't it? You know, they get confidence yeah. from from uh, yeah. you know they get confidence from bling, even if it you know clearly uh, should never be overlooked that you know placebo is still an effect. Can be sometimes one heck of a you know expensive effect to think that something you've bought that might be slightly uh, you know better equipment or slightly newer um, may as much as anything affect the athlete mentally. So okay, um, let's take for example um, triathletes, long distance triathletes in particular. What would be a common shortfall, or is ev- is everybody so different that? you're not seeing any particular trends because this interests me because I think there may be general trends within groups because I think groups tend to have certain, um, as I see it, certain sort of predispositions about certain types of diet, certain types of training. And therefore, um, I wonder whether, you know, for example, long distance triathletes could, could end up having certain almost like global um, trends within their profiles just because they're suspect to the, you know, the kind of uh, the, the, the watch words within that training mode to, mm-hmm. to, to eat certain things or not eat certain things. And, and are you seeing any, any kind of trend, for example, in Ironman long course triathletes? Mm. I think it's, I think by the very nature of the beast, there's, two important observations i think with any athlete particularly athletes that are engaging in more than sort of 12 15 hours a week of training 
um, because there's two two general features. I mean, one is the composite uh, aggregation of chronic training stress and load on that athlete that kind of elicits and manifests as micro depletions of, of certain metrics we see on the profile. Because the big question is, does tra- does the actual physical effect of training and uh, physical stress from exertion, does that have some sort of effect on our metabolic function, on uh, hormone function, hypothalamic pituitary function, vitamin levels, iron, red cell function, etc.? And then the second part of that, does the effect of um, nutritional change actually have an effect on the profile of the athlete? So, for example, an athlete who is consciously um, watching their intake of certain food groups, for example, carbohydrate or fat, is this going to have an effect on their nutritional balance and quality of that athlete because they're constantly watching their weight in order to engender some sort of perceived performance um, improvement from an improved power to weight ratio so speaking less kind of conceptually more example would be um, an athlete that's on maybe a low-fat diet or decides to uh, reduce him intake of something like red meat or eggs because of a preconceived um, sort of perception that certain food groups may uh, somehow maybe slow them down or increase weight gain or etc or somehow be undesirable for that athlete because in actual fact what will happen is you'll have an athlete that might be de-optimized with regards to important important almost ergogenic uh, metrics like the b12 active b12 folate uh, stored iron and ferritin etc because all of these metrics will be important in order to drive red cell function, essential for oxygen transfer, and also improve things like cell synthesis, protein turnover, um, stuff like nerve cell production, muscle cell maintenance, etc. So you'll have this athlete that's you know, doing a long distance and will be consciously looking at their nutrition, but at the same time might be de-optimizing their profile. And the flip side to that is that you'll have the athlete then that's doing a lot of training, so a lot of um, repeated muscle contraction um, and repeated muscle contraction, especially vigorous muscle contraction that you might see within running or cycling might generate some form of destruction to things like red blood cells through uh, the very active, uh, something called foot strike hemolysis when you, you run, every time you run, you break red blood cells under your feet. And the, the kind of summation of lots of these effects are that it can de-optimize red cell function. So it's easy for an athlete to become depleted on things like iron or B12 because of training. And then you have the issue with dilutional effects of training um, on blood. So there's lots more serum and plasma developed, which we know about, which is a physiological change and not necessarily something we need to get uh, too, too worried about. And the other things like the athlete that's UK based, um, rarely sees the sun because they're training 
when maybe it's dark or when maybe they're training indoors and most of their hours are spent in sort of artificially lit environments within an office, often vitamin D depletion is, a, is an issue for them, um, which has ramifications of increased risk of stress fractures, etc., vulnerability to coughs and colds. So lots, it's a real spectrum of cause and effect that you'll get from living the life of an athlete and the right. possibly some of the you know, unforeseen risks of training and certain nutrition that we need to be dialed into. Yeah, and of course we don't. One of the things um, as uh, the coach side of me, one of the things is um, – Anything you can take question marks away from, it allows you to be more, I guess, you know, more, there's no surprises on race day. People that race very well, um, you can see it in their numbers and their sessions and their confidence in the build-up for, you know, not just one or two sessions, but for many weeks. Now, um, if that's the case, what's the best times? We're now into the season, we've got things like... Um, Ironman uh, Lanzarote looming this weekend. There's national series um, time trials underway. There's you know uh, national road race series. There's you know there's loads of different things that are now well and truly up and running. Is it too late for people to think that blood profiling is relevant for this season, or is it that there's certain best times, or that there's no best time, and actually at any point people could actually dip into their profile in order to learn something at that point? I think it's a good question because at the moment, our getting our handle on exactly when are the best times to profile, we're still. Um, the data and the evidence is still being compiled um, because it's not something that's been done widespread, widespread and more, more research and more evidence is needed. But I think we can make a good kind of best educated guess and stab at quantifying exactly when an athlete should be looking at doing something like profiling. Um, and I think there's two, two ways of looking at it. The first way is being reactive second way is being proactive so in a reactive way i.e the athlete doesn't feel great and feels that they want you know some form of testing uh they will be able to access profiling and that's the kind of reactive point that the athlete will come to and that's often not the most optimal desirable way to manage that athlete you want to be proactive so you want to spot things right. before they happen on the horizon perhaps a micro depletion or deficiency or deoptimization that may cause an issue further down the line so even in a macro cycle to come or you know four or five micro cycles to come before that athlete succumbs to something so what we try and say to athletes is maybe testing couple of times a season at least two or three times a season one point when they're at the most rested so typically over the winter period maybe to january february before training really starts ramping up so they've got a really good idea of what their what their system is like and what their biomarkers and profile and their kind of framework of 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 metrics is like at the most rested part of the season the season um, and then often testing at the height of the season, maybe 
just as things, you know, racing starts really getting into earnest, so the May-June time. So understanding how their system is is absorbing the training and how their kind of nutritional load is 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 optimizing their system. And sometime about May, they'll get a good idea. And then perhaps another test towards the back end of the season, something like September or October, or even earlier if they're looking at heading out to something like Kona. And what's important is when you do these profiles is being able to almost target um, rather than sort of canvas supplement, almost target particular areas and profiles. So you might find something like your red cell magnesium might be low. You'll be able to say, right, well, I've got an issue with magnesium. And that might be something to do with my training because I'm losing a lot of sweat or my nutrition might be not dialed in. That's something they can track in between big profiles. Um, and often the, the, the pattern or the framework of profiling for the athlete might be very much tailored or customized to that particular athlete, depending on how long their season is or how far they want to pull out the front or the back end of their season. Okay. Okay. So, uh, it's one of those, um, things that I guess the age grouper is always looking at and sometimes referring to. And it's that age old question of, um, you know, do we know how many elites are doing such things, um, that profiling is, um, you know, one, one of their, uh, mainstays and, I guess the part two of that is what athletes can you say are using um, endurance and that want to say that they're using endurance? Because clearly some people won't, uh, they won't want to, you know, tell other people that, that they're doing something in the background that um, may help them because you clearly don't always in a competitive world, some people are very um, secretive about what they're doing because they don't want to give it away to um, to anybody. And there have been, you know, strange scenarios of people turning up in in locations to get professional services, only to bump into somebody and say, "What are you doing here? Well, what are you doing here?" And yeah. they're both, you know, and they're they're both trying to, you know, get that that next uh, few seconds, be it you know biomechanics or or drag or or swim input or whatever it is. So. And un, sort of unpop the the can of athletes that you can talk about, not necessarily specifically what they um, have done, but just that they've put their name to it, or that they are using the service as one of their things. You know, perhaps in the last one or two years, what what names can you quote? I think it's um, it is interesting because the very the very nature of what we do uh, conjures up images of mystique and uh you know the whole the whole the whole principle of of blood profiling because of the um you know the sort of bad apples and the unsavory practices that have gone on for years and in certain levels of sport you know with regards to um the whole principle of blood and what we've very much tried to do right from the get-go and right from the beginning is to be able to kind of take the whole mystique out of the whole thing and just make it okay for people to start talking about blood again because it's absolutely essential and um you know because of the 
the whole concern um, with flood in the past, it's an area of, of sport that's been so neglected and unfairly because it's it's really a safety thing for people um, and really a um, it, it's such a great thing to be able to give people their data and their metrics to say this this is what's going on and because it's so central to to the athlete and um important for 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 outcomes i think a lot of our athletes who particularly our ambassador athletes who we who who we use we've been delighted with their the whole um the, the way they've cut the way they've come to us because they've been you know everyone's very transparent about um you know starting profiling it's a new innovation and it's something that we're pioneering people have been very kind of honest and and accessible about um about going online and saying yeah we're we're, we're profiling we're doing this for for health reasons okay um, within- just just a second well the um the mic seems to have got closer to you there's a bit of a uh, bit of uh uh, banging and knocking from the mic. So if you can move the mic away slightly. Let's try that. Does that sound better? Oh, that's better, yeah. That's okay. better. That's probably... so, so, yeah. So any any names then? Come on, there, there must be uh, ambassadors or there must be people that have, have even, you know, tweeted or shouted about the fact that they're doing it. Because let's face it, it could also be seen as a must-have. The moment that you do something, you then get everybody else to think, oh, well, I better be doing that then. Yeah, so within triathlon, we've got... Um, uh, Vicky Gill is our um, ambassador female triathlete and she's been having their profiling for um, I'd say about a year if not longer and um, she was at our launch um, at the beginning of the year and I think she's she's had real benefit from understanding the whole principle of profiling and what numbers she needed to work closer on with her kind of nutrition plan and rest and recovery etc yeah um she's been great we've had will clark who's um used profiling um when he um is having some difficulty with recovery and um he's been great and he's been very um uh active on social media um complimentary about endurance um within um cycling we've um our um, ambassador um, uh, cyclist is Matt Bottrell, um, who's the current um, national champion. And um, he's started with uh, profiling this year and he's been, doing, he's been doing very well as well. And I think these, a lot of these athletes do actually, when they're, you know, guys like Matt, guys like Will and Vicky, um, when they're at this very high level, they, they, they understand why it's so important to make sure the whole quantification process of their blood health is is there for them to be able to access at any time um, because it's the ability for them to you know look at that kind of engine management systems on a kind of microcellular level etc and but have the ability to have their numbers translated interpreted and analyzed by the specialist endurance for them to kind of give them sort of green flag you know that everything's okay or even wave an amber flag when something needs to be repeated or tracked um and that's a very as you said before it's a very reassuring thing for the athlete to have that level of intelligence and awareness and you know whether it's there's a psychological benefit to that i think it's probably irrelevant really because you know anything that gives the athlete that reassurance 
and also the ability to unpick things that need to be looked at closer um, or optimized is is, is, is only going to be great. Okay, so if we thought about um, the uh, area of, um, of of blood profiling being almost almost in a sense like a, like a new a new type of oh look we've got this new um, let's say you know max test or something like that but we're, we're measuring something that for most people they won't have even thought about blood profiling they may have thought about vo2 max or perhaps lactate or or some kind of you know parameter even heart rate max or something that they can measure this is obviously a new dimension could people actually be training and racing fairly well despite bad bloods as we as we might call it bad you know a profile that is less than optimal Mm. or is it the case that if it's less than optimal they must be in some way affected um in that eventual performance um i think it's that's probably sort of information we're going to we're going to uncover as time goes on because i mean very often we look at we look at a profile and we we often can't marry up or uh synchronize that profile with the athlete who's had the profile done because often the results that that athlete might get whether it's running cycling or triathlon very much doesn't quite adhere Um, you can't comprehend that that's the same athlete from looking at their profile because the profile is heavily de-optimized you think well this athlete has obviously got um, high degree of kind of metabolic reserve or compensation reserve in order to be able to pull out the results they can with that profile for example an athlete who is able to run a um, 17 sub 17 minute 5k um, and you look at their profile they're heavily iron de-optimized the question you ask yourself is that iron de-optimization or is that iron depletion translating to um handicap to their performance will they go faster if they are um perhaps more iron uh efficient and and optimized and that's something that can only be tracked as time goes on by looking at the outcomes of performance um for that athlete improvement in their times once that athlete has been optimized because we know that many runners are iron deficient because of the nature of the beast of running um, because of the kind of metabolic demands of running Um, and there are studies there are there is good evidence to show that improvement on on certain nutritional biomarkers will translate to reducing um sorry increasing times to exhaustion etc maybe not so much with um uh, anything other than submaximal exercise, so, so peak powers, etc. Um, so I think I think it is a, and I, I think it's the question is what how actionable are are is profiling, and I think that's something that the future is very much going to reassure us with because we can see many profiles with athletes that you can make actionable decisions on. You can say, looking at a couple of the metrics uh, by improving those outcomes, that's going to improve your chances of um, delivering a more 
um, optimize muscular contraction or an improved recovery from performance or perhaps an improved um, aerobic capacity and aerobic threshold. Mm. Um, and then the translation to an actual improvement in a time or an actual performance outcome measure within a race is then another hurdle for that athlete to get over. Okay, so it's it's going to be a challenge then for people to see blood profiling as as relevant to them because it's um, it sounds it sounds quite elite, doesn't it? Because it sounds like it's um, you know what type of what type of polish should you put on your bike frame or, you know, should you have low, low drag swim goggles? And then you think for most people, that's probably the last of their, you know, there, there clearly must be marginal gains that are um, what I would call neurotic marginal gains. They're, they're what people, you know, it will pry on their mind, but it will probably have such a, you know, negligible if if anything, it will be, you know, the fact that it has a placebo effect that they think they're going faster. But, this can't be got around, can it? Because I'm, I'm sort of thinking if, you, if you've got a diet and training that is not working for you and the bloods flag that up, you can't just overcome that. That's not like, um, it's not like perhaps a, you know, a road racer can ride tactically even though they've not necessarily got absolutely the best equipment to somebody else. They can use tactics to perhaps slightly overcome um, a uh, an equipment deficit but if the very engine is below par because of the long-term effects of somebody's food choices training habits um, that you can't really overcome it so so do you see blood profiling as being one of those things that starts off being seen as marginal and then starts to be seen as essential I think so and I think it because it's the it's the actual very essence of who we are as right. human beings and as athletes it's the very it we strip it strip it down to its core um to the athlete you know at the end of the day we're on a, a level level playing field you know we all have the same kind of uh I was going to say we all have the same DNA. We don't, but <laughs> we all have the same kind of tools within our kind of DNA, how we transcribe DNA and create proteins. We all have the same kind of roadmap and toolkit. It's just exactly what are those tools made of and how do we, how do those things, you know, join together and build to become the performance of the athlete. And I think once you start understanding, once we start understanding that, you know, performance starts with the athlete themselves, the actual kind of biology of the athlete, then I think people get it. And I think as actual fact, what you said at the beginning there is, it's probably the inverse is the most applicable. And the athletes who are at the most non-elite level, perhaps are those of the athletes that are most dependent and heavily, heavily require something like blood profiling, because there is an argument and a hypothesis that the very nature of the elite level athlete, professional level athlete, is that they have a kind of genetic blueprint that is more um, peculiar to somebody who has a lot of slack or bandwidth within their, within their system metabolically as an athlete, that they can train 20, 30, 40 hours a week and their constitution allows them to return each week and replicate the same volume regardless of the composition or the uh, pattern or ratio of training zones within that volume, but they have that bandwidth within their system, perhaps with or even perhaps without blood profiling. 
are they are they more able to fly, fly solo but the very fact that you have an athlete that's not an elite and maybe doesn't have that same level of genetic endowment maybe they have more of a dependency on some form of monitoring or surveillance of their own system for them to be able to almost mimic or pattern the same type of training that an elite level athlete will do which so many recreational athletes now who are pursuing um, Ironman or uh, Challenge or some of the long distance course racing are starting to mimic the same volume of training that an elite level athlete will do um, but they have a very different genetic blueprint to what the elite or professional athlete will have and those are the athletes that perhaps need this form of monitoring, surveillance and general reassurance and uh, target-based, precision, nutrition-based um, monitoring of biomarkers. Okay. I've got, I've got a diary here. Um, blimey, it's <laughs> the week of May the 1st. 1987 so the 17th sunday was the first time i did a triathlon and then i look back over this diary thinking there's things in here that um kind of not only illustrated habits but remind me of things i've forgotten um even then i've, I've noted down multivitamins so i was taking a multivitamin and then i look further back and at that point i was uh totally vegetarian so i've put um no meat no no yeah. you know some days no meat no vitamins blah, yeah. blah blah and there was things like uh kelp kelp tablets and um uh what was the other one brewer's yeast and things like that and yeah. i guess for me it's always been a habit that supplementation may fill in gaps but of course there was no way um that i could monitor it and we've spoken about the first data that I ever got when I was doing my sports science degree. And, you know, the numbers didn't look good, but they were explained by, you know, perhaps a student diet and particularly a long-term um, vegetarian diet. Mm. If, if people have certain habits, and I think with athletes it is that they probably are either ultra-cautious about their diet and perhaps don't sometimes, you know, let themselves be, a, you know, a little bit more easy on themselves. But if there's a, if there's a, a sort of a, a habitual way that people um, eat and consider or don't consider supplements, are athletes more prone to building up, um, shall we say, um, certainly um, vitamin or, or nutrient um, sort of uh, deficiencies because they they might be limited or they might drop certain food groups or conversely really over supplement are, are we almost like um uh, uh, athletes and, and coaches that advise athletes are we almost needing something like this because we could all all be kidding ourselves that certain things are really good and certain things are really bad and actually there needs to be a much more um valuable middle ground yeah, I think it's it's a very useful tool for being able to give people um, objective, solid evidence for why they feel like they do or why sometimes we try and put our point across to, to athletes, whether you're the coach or the dietitian or the nutritionist, exactly why looking at a certain food group or eating in a certain way is going to be important for that athlete. And it's lovely because we've got this 
really lovely opportunity to be able to say to people um, maybe the diet that you're following isn't the most optimal for for your training for you some of the targets and goals that you've got and perhaps maybe the supplementation uh, pattern or trends or regime you've been following is, is actual fact creating some form of disturbance on your profile and a good example of that would be an athlete that maybe overloads with something like a zinc supplement or something you'll see some of the um, kind of red zone areas of zinc on their profile so they're heavily over over uh, supplementing with zinc and that can have a knock-on effect with other metrics on their profile for example things like iron absorption which is catastrophic for an athlete and you can often spot the athletes that maybe don't as we said before don't follow certain food groups because of risk of some form of um, performance degradation for example you know athletes have the idea they don't want to eat too much in the way of certain proteins whether it's red meat or etc or the fats but we know things like fats are important for us good fats are important because they pull in some of the fat soluble vitamins and they provide the little building blocks for the important hormones of performance like testosterone so if you get an athlete for example that has the preconception that I'm going to have a completely zero fat diet will often then return with something like a uh, testosterone deficiency state in a male athlete which again is catastrophic um, because the testosterone itself is made up of fats in particular things like cholesterol so it's a often you know you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't with a lot of things yeah and some of the athletes that we've had who've been vegan athletes and have said, oh, uh, you're going to have a, you know, I don't know what you're going to find on this profile, but it's going to be a nightmare. They say that to us. And we, we have real pleasure in saying to them, your, your profile's fine. You know, because just because you're a vegan athlete doesn't mean you don't, you, you, it's, it's a showstopper with regards to performance, you know, right. because often vegan athletes are very well dialed in on exactly how they need to improve things like B12 and iron. Um, and so I think it's there's a lot of mythery um, uh, storytelling out there about exactly how things work with regards to you know pursuing certain nutritional regimes, whether it's kind of low carb, high fat, or high carb or veganism, etc. I just think it's about how knowledgeable and aware the athlete is, um, especially things like you know recovery, etc. And often some of the nutrients are not specific towards food groups or often, um, you know, issues with um, stress management, relaxation, recovery in the athlete. Um, and as well as, you know, environmental, as we said about things like vitamin D optimization in an athlete that's rarely in the sun because 90% of the athlete's vitamin D is heavily dependent on sunshine exposure. Right. Okay. So I think it's, it's an, uh, it's a can of worms that you're opening. Um, or a Pandora's box. <laughs> or Pandora's box, whichever way you look at it, particularly people scared of worms. And, and we will learn, we will, we will see the athletes, we will get feedback from the athletes and we will see the numbers appear. And I think it's been a really good, you know, can't give exacts because clearly everybody's different, but it's been really good, Will, to sort of hear, 
you know, behind it, what's what's the you know the the rationale? And by the sounds of it, everybody's different. Um, it clearly can't be applicable to everybody because everybody you know doesn't all have you know the the top end um, race bike wetsuit turn over their running shoes, you know, every time they even notice they're slightly smashed down, they don't have the most up-to-date garment or the most expensive of everything. So this clearly does have certain um, people's names written on it, but it could be applicable for a lot of people, perhaps at the moment, that are happily going along thinking, well, I think everything's okay. So uh, it's been really nice to actually hear from you about your um, your ideas behind profiling, because as a early adopter to it a long, long time ago, I get it, but I think it's going to be one of those things that yeah. people will, you know, come around to. And in some cases, it's way above what they think is applicable to their performance of getting around a half Ironman. But when things start to go wrong, this is probably the yeah. biggest, most effective elastoplast that they're ever going to have to so. really seal their performance. I think so. I think it's just about people um, just shifting their gaze a little bit off center as to how the whole thing works with regards to everything they do in their sport you know we spend so much time money and investment in things like our bike fit our error testing our running gait analysis um i mean somebody said to me you wouldn't dream of going out on your bike with without checking your tire pressures especially if you're going to ride a sportif in the mountains or something and you know a lot of people say to us well this is the same thing we're profiling you know why why would you put your body through 20 hours a week plus of training for a a long distance long course event and then expect for you to be able to perform in a event of 10 hours or more um if you haven't actually looked at the oil pressures haven't looked at the you know check the valves etc checked all the metrics on a biological level to see if you are ready you know if you if you've got if you've had your race check and and ready to 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 race and train because it's a huge metabolic um stress that we put ourselves under to get what we want to do and we're still learning about whether this is something that you know what are the things we need to look out for in the future um, with regards to sport and particularly um endurance sport we need to make sure that we safeguard ourselves as well Yeah, great, great. I, I, Thanks, I, Joe. Yeah, I, no, I have to say thank you, thank you. It's really nice to, you know, get get the nitty gritty behind something. Often, you know, it's re- it's released and people um, stay behind, um, you know, PR releases and don't really um, say too much more than, um, you know, this is how much it is and this is the advert. So it's really nice. Thank you so much. And I will point people towards. Uh, endurance.co.uk so that's I-N-D so endurance rather than endurance endurance.co.uk and they can see you know the testimonials the blog um, and from there go to you know the Twitter and things like that I, I think I think this is yeah as you said it's a Pandora's box and by the looks of the uh, the increasing um, comments via the, uh, the you know the Facebook page and the tweets it's obviously starting to resonate there's been probably what 5,000 people see the video there's hundreds of people that have uh, linked with the uh, the Facebook page so you can see this is starting to um, to uh, be be known about so thank you so much um, but for the listeners please we do appreciate every review and rating that you put at iTunes if you've got questions contact either via the contact page at jbst.com or via the Twitter feed I'm Coach Joe Beer. That's my Twitter feed. 
if you want to, you can also follow facebook.com slash coach Joe Beer. So thank you for listening to this, which has been a really different type of podcast. I want to do interviews as, as much as possible, but it's actually getting people that's the difficult part. So thank you for listening to this. Crocker and myself will be back with a uh, normal version of the podcast in just uh, a week's time. So remember, train smart and have fun. 